Over the last few weeks, we've been journeying with Moses and the Hebrews as God frees them from Egypt, and they begin their journey through the wilderness to the promised land. And next week, we're going to pick back up this story. But this week, we're changing directions. Uh, Also this week, uh, Chris Ryder, our administrative assistant, was in Hawaii, and uh, Pastor Travis had to do the bulletin. He knows what he's preaching on. Proofs his own bulletin, puts it in there, and then what does he do? He puts the wrong text. Uh, Well, the second part of the text, so what David read just a moment ago, is what will happen after I now finish reading the text that I'm preaching on this morning. Which, you know, if our uh, friend John Bolin, uh, who's filled in a few times, were here, he'd remind us that you do have Bibles in your pews, perhaps on your phones, or maybe you've memorized the text like I have, but... In Matthew, or sorry, in Mark chapter 5, just a few verses before what David just read, verse 21 here, the first part of the story. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him as he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, fell at Jesus' feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched Jesus' cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? And he looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let us pray. Our God, we come before your scripture. Searching today in the midst of our world to find a word from you. Speak to us in whatever way you would speak today. And open our ears that we may hear what you say. Open our mouth that we may have the courage to speak your word. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this week, as I was studying a little more in the text that was the other text that wasn't read, but was the one I had first attended to preach, was in the original bolt, and then I edited it, and anyway, I was reading along with some of you perhaps on Facebook, on social media, on news stories, all the posts, the stories that came out this week with the tagline, Me Too. Maybe you saw this. Some of you have read these posts. Some of you shared them yourself. And the wake, it all started in the wake of the allegations of sexual harassment and assault from movie producer Harvey Weinstein. 
Women from all walks of life this past week, starting last Sunday, took to social media to say, me too. It was a campaign that's sort of been around, but recently was prompted on Sunday by Alyssa Milano, the actress, who posted on Twitter, on Twitter, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too as a reply to this tweet. And she continued, if all the women who have been harassed or assaulted wrote me too, we might give people a sense of the magnitude of the problem. Within 24 hours, over 4 million posts on Facebook, millions more since then on Twitter, me too. Some were big name celebrities, most were names maybe we didn't even know. Some were our friends, our co-workers, our bosses, our pastors, sisters, wives, mothers. And some told the story and some it was just those two words, sorry. But those two words would say so much. And behind those words were were stories of pain, of shame. Stories of a man who thought it was okay to treat a woman, to exploit her, to objectify her. And reading it, I thought, well, men, we got some work to do. And yeah, men get assaulted too. A few folks decided, hey, it's a good time to remind everybody of this. But there's stories, yeah, they should be told. But there's something unique, something silencing about a woman's experience, something unique about the way men think that they can possess and objectify women and then excuse or ignore the stories. Men, we have work to do. Whatever progress we have made, ours is still a culture that tends to ignore the experiences of women while also celebrating the powerful macho man. Now, from actors and movie producers to presidents and politicians, this alleged locker room talk is seen as harmless banter, but it's not harmless, and it shouldn't continue. And to all those who have been harmed or silenced or made to feel less than, exploited, assaulted, I think the church should say, I'm sorry. We're sorry. We hear you, and what happened is wrong, and it should not continue. We have work to do, repentance to do no more. But we need to say more than I'm sorry because this is a systemic cultural problem and maybe we didn't know that until last week, but it's pervasive. And it will only continue if we do nothing. Part of the work, part of the work is for us guys to realize that our experience is just a lot different than the women in our lives. A professor uh, posted on Facebook, if I can get to it here, Sometimes you edit your sermon during worship. (laughs) I'm serious. There's there's pencil marks all over this thing. There was a professor. His name was uh, uh, Jackson Katz. And he talked about what he does in the class he teaches. He says he draws a line down the middle of the chalkboard. And he sketches on each side of the line a male symbol on one side, a female symbol on the other. And then he asks just the men in the class, what steps do you guys take on a daily basis to prevent yourselves from being sexually assaulted. And there is this awkward silence, he says, as the men try to figure out if they've been asked a trick question. The silence gives way to a smattering of nervous laughter. Occasionally, a young guy will raise his hand and say, I stay out of prison. This is typically followed by another moment of nervous laughter. Eventually, someone says nothing. Soberly, they say, I don't think about it. And then he asks women the same question. 
He said all the women in the, in the class, their hands immediately go up. Men sit in stunned silence as they tell their story. I hold my keys as a potential weapon, they say. I don't put my drink down and come back to it. I own a big dog. I carry pepper spray. I have an unlisted phone number. I vary my route home from work every day. I watch what I wear. I don't use highway rest stops. I don't make assertive eye contact with men on the street over and over. Men, we don't quite get what women experience. We don't know what it's like. And we ignore the stories believing they're not true. We don't see it. We think it doesn't happen. We brush it off. We have work to do. Some of that work begins in our own life. Some of it begins in the church because, well, we're being honest today, so let's just keep being honest. The church has often acted in ways, talked in ways, taught certain things that have perpetuated this culture. The church hasn't been known to listen. The church has blamed women for what has been done to them. Perhaps you have read that story, the very first of the Bible of Eve, and she made me do it. The story of Hester Prynne and her scarlet letter to story after story told last week. The church has a way of blaming victims and excusing the perpetrators, even hiding and protecting them. After all, for centuries, the church actually taught that God created man to be superior of women. And teachings like that just kind of get in your DNA. We're told that women's gifts weren't allowed in the church, only that of the boys. In the church I grew up in, an elderly woman could not speak, but I, as a 12-year-old boy, could stand in front of the church and deliver a sermon. Also in the church I grew up in, when a young girl would get pregnant, we made her go forward. She had to write her confession out, no guy in sight, and a man would read her sins to the church. We need to be honest. We have work to do. We made progress we got work to do. We also need to be honest about Scripture, because right there in our holy book, if we start to read our story after story of women being assaulted, exploited, blamed by powerful men, and men portrayed as heroes. It started with Genesis, Adam blaming Eve, but then we have Abraham. Abraham, who we've been talking about for a while, he pretends that his wife Sarah is actually his sister, and offers his wife as his sister to the king of Egypt as a peace offering. We call that sexual trafficking. There's a story of Abraham's cousin, Lot, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot entertains some men. Tradition tells us they were angels. And the men of Sodom come to Lot's house and they want to take these men outside, attack them. But Lot, not wanting to inconvenience his guest, decides the better alternative is to send his daughters out to these men. Thankfully, these angels intervene, strike the mob with blindness. The story of Esther, who's pushed into slavery to the king by her cousin in order to save her own people. King David, the prized hero, man after God's own heart, who sexually assaults Bathsheba, has her husband killed so he can then add her to his harem. The New Testament, there's a story of Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her version of the birth story still is held with question. Jesus was always seen as suspect to, be, to have been born by such a questionable woman. Maybe that's why Jesus responds as he does. When he encounters the woman caught in adultery, this gang of holy men catch her, ignoring the man, of course. And they're ready to stone her. And Jesus intervenes, breaks up the mob, and shows her kindness. 
There's the Apostle Paul, who I kind of like this guy, but sometimes he writes such liberating words like, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one. And sometimes he says things like, Well, women should be silent in the church. And this doozy, women will be saved by their childbearing. Yeah, that one's in there somewhere in the back. These stories, they're in our scripture. Some of them at times have been used to excuse behavior. They fed into this macho Christianity. And we should be honest about it. We should read the whole bit of scripture. Deal with it all. But never give it permission to condone bad behavior. Because what it does is it gives us a picture of the world as it really is, as it has been for a long time in all its brokenness. And scripture's brutally honest, exposes our faults. But these stories and all their brokenness, they're not the end of the story. Because God has good news for us. And I found it this week in this text, the second text that we read. And the story could perhaps be called another Me Too story. If you notice, it begins with Jesus encountering this powerful man. His name is Jarius, the leader of the synagogue. He's the local board chair. And this man uses his position to get help for his daughter who is gravely ill. And why wouldn't he? We would all do the same. Jesus comes and his authority gets him an audience with Jesus. And Jesus agrees to heal his daughter. And they go travel to where his daughter is dying. But on the way, something happens. The crowd follows and they're being delayed and everyone's pressing up against Jesus. And Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And the disciples, they're always a bit dumbfounded with the things Jesus says. Jesus, everyone touched you. Look around. No, no, someone touched me, he says. He felt the power leave, we are told. And a woman finally emerges from the crowd. She's trembling, fearful. She confesses, expecting the worst. She touched the hem of his garment, thinking if I could only touch a little piece of his clothing, I could be healed. And for years, this woman had suffered in silence. Her condition was an issue of blood, this hemorrhage that meant that she was continually, ritually unclean, unable to enter the temple ever. Most likely, she had been discarded by everyone in her life. Doctors had for years tried to treat her condition, but it says they only made it worse and left her broke. Some have suggested her condition was probably most likely caused by rape. She was exploited. Silence forgotten. And Jesus, with all these people here, powerful people, he notices her. He feels her pain, her shame, and she will be silenced no more. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. And the healing that happens, it's the disease, but it's this welcoming back into community. That the thing that pushed you out is no more. You're welcomed. The story paints well the picture for us. The powerful man has access. This woman is silent. But Jesus, as he always does, upsets the cultural norms. He stops. He heals the woman. He sees her. And Jesus sees you, us, all of us, right in the midst of our pain and shame. Jesus sees you, listens to you, believes you, believes in you. Jesus is God in the flesh, we're told. God becoming a human. And in the flesh, our flesh, he takes on all our pain, all the pain inflicted upon us, he takes on. As well as the pain of being people who often cause others pain. 
people who are in need of repentance. Jesus takes it all, and the gospel proclaims that Jesus takes all of our sins, all of our flesh, all of our faults and frailties upon himself. And the gospel proclaims, Jesus says, that whatever you do to the other, you do to me. And whatever is done to you is done to me. All the pain and shame of our lives, what we have done and what has been done to us, Jesus takes on and says, me too. And by the strength of Christ's love, he gives us healing and peace. All of us, no matter what it is that we carry, frees us to stand up, to walk with dignity, to say no more. No more. Amen.